Oh, hello. Welcome, everyone. This is Quantum Nurse, and this is Grace Asagra. We have a special guest today. She's my colleague, holistic nurse from many years ago, and still working in the holistic field just like me. Welcome again. Well, this is um, Quantum Nurse, so thank you for all the uh, listeners and the viewers. And uh, we have Janice Anderson, and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so uh, pleased to be able to be here with you on this beautiful summer afternoon, and hope that I can answer your questions and give you some insight. Thank you. I'm sure you would. And we'll make it fun and just let it flow so that we'll keep thinking that our audience is engaged with us. For sure. So Janice Anderson, you are a board certified holistic registered nurse licensed in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, who has been in practice for 25 years. I mean, private practice. Private practice. As inside out. You're certified in integrative healing arts, clinical thermography, Reiki master teacher, advanced clinical hypnotherapist, and pre and post surgical relaxation facilitator. Inside Out has been operating since 2005 as a service of the private holistic nursing and wellness practice of yours truly, Janice Anderson. And that opened in 1992. So you've really been a nurse for over, over three de decades. So just like me, <laughs> practicing 25 years holistically. It sounds a lot too much, but when they see us, we don't really reflect over 30 years, right? <laughs> and you have an extensive and diverse background in holistic health and mind-body therapies, and trained and certified in digital infrared thermographic imaging at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, under the auspices of the American College of Clinical Thermography, ACCT. Your private practice focuses on thermography, prevention wellness, and establishment and facilitation of healthy lifestyle. The goal is to empower the individual to take control of and responsibility for their own health and wellness. That's quite an accomplishment, Janice, and you know, quite a, um, a very compassionate mission. Well, I can't change anyone and when somebody comes into me that has a, an issue or a question, they actually are the ones who are the prime movers. So they have to engage themselves and they empower themselves. And when they take responsibility for it, they own it and it makes it so much easier for them to do whatever it is they need to do to stay, to become and stay well. So, how are you 
managing or empowering yourself this time of the year or this unprecedented time? Well, um, this has been an unprecedented time. I, since the age of 12, I have never had consistent days together where I had no responsibility for work, children, etc. So this past three months has been a gift. I've been able to exercise more, taking walks in nature, um, cleaning out and, you know, kind of doing my own little feng shui thing and um, really just changing things that needed to be changed. I've been cooking so much more at home because working um, full time kind of hits into that uh, by the time I get home, sitting down and really cooking totally healthy meals. So that has been such a wonderful benefit of the past three months. But I'm, I'm lucky, you know, it is just my, my husband and I, and we are not responsible for anyone else. And um, I realize that this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for any working moms trying to homeschool their children and still maintain a household and maintain their job. Anybody whose family uh, relies on outside support, whether it is for a disabled child or for an adult with issues so that those uh, daycare programs and outside support therapists and services that all of a sudden were not available put additional stress on everyone. And it initially, I don't think we really realized that this was going to be more than a week or two. And as time moved on and it became one month and two months, I think that the uh, information started to become available and there are resources now that you can look up online. And um, I always go to my library and my home library. I've been collecting books on wellness and prevention for 30 years plus. So I have a lot of books and I tend to seek out what it is I need help with. And seeking out help is, is a very powerful thing for someone. And when I worked in rehab nursing, I, uh, I always used to counsel the family members to take advantage of the support because they felt like they, they needed to be the one that did everything. And that is not a healthy way to do it because you have to take care of yourself in order to be there to help your family member. So. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, one of the things that they, um, any caregiver, whether it's for their children or for their young, um, young adults, children, and now I'm thinking about the, their elderly parents or elderly brothers and sisters, because sometimes they also, the siblings become the caregiver for their other siblings. Uh, they, 
they do have like a complex responsibilities. So many times they'll tell me, I don't have time, Grace. And um, if they find like 30 minutes for themselves, they're, they're, they're quite happy about that already. So I know that you wrote that one of the things that keeps you happy is finding joy every day. And you wrote in the blue sky, in the warm breeze, in the ocean. So how do you do that? And what do you think we could, you could share for the audience also? Well, finding joy, I think, is an essential for wellness, no matter whether you are in stressful times or not. Because my philosophy is that in order to be successfully healthy, you need to nurture your body, your mind, and your spirit. And that does involve finding joy. Whether you live in an inner city, in a third floor walk-up apartment, or you live on a, in, on a country road with beautiful nature around you, you can go outside and if there isn't a scene visible, look up, look up at the sky. And if the sky isn't blue, maybe there's a cloud and maybe that cloud is in a special formation or maybe there's a message on a billboard or a car or bus going by that might be uplifting. I think that by being present and aware we can find these simple things. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to formally enroll in a class to know how to find joy, but it's that feeling within your heart. Like when you see, oh, a little child lift up his arms to his parent, or when you see one of your uh, brothers, sisters, parents, children, smile at you and you know the love that is behind that that warms your heart and if you find that these things really aren't available to you close your eyes and imagine your own joyful scene and a lot of people will say to me oh i have no imagination and when i ask them if they can think of a pink elephant of course they can think of a pink elephant so they do have an imagination. So I just ask them to tap into that and think of something that reminds them of a particularly happy or joyful day in their life. Maybe they can find a flower or go to a flower shop. Go on the computer and just look at the photos that are there of flowers and the ocean and birds and whatever your particular liking, the computer photo section has anything. Go to, what is it, iStock photos or, and they have multitudes of things that can bring um, pleasant memories to you and can provide that heartwarming feeling. And it isn't hard. And when everyone says, oh, I don't have time. Well, you actually do have time. And I do a lot uh, helping people learn to meditate. And there's only one wrong way to meditate, and that is not to. If you can find five minutes to close your eyes 
and take a deep breath in, bringing to within you just what it is you need. Letting go with the exhaled breath. If you do that three, four, even five times, it takes minutes, not 15 or 30. If you did that three times a day, what you've done is you've essentially stopped the gerbil wheel that we live in, and it takes a few minutes to ramp that back up. So you're actually doing yourself a service and it's only taking you three or four minutes. You can do that when you run to the bathroom or go to get a glass of water. It does not take a long time. You, you said a lot of good things or good, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm, it's great, it's great. Because first like looking at the sky, because sometimes we, you can be like in an area physically around you that you, in your mind, it doesn't look good. Okay, it could be your own clutter. It could be outside someone's neighborhood that you don't like or just anywhere that, but then you look at the sky, it's really true. So that's beautiful, that's beautiful. And anywhere and through the sky, it, for me, it reminds us of how connected we are with the entire global situation in the entire world. And then soon you expand your imagination is the entire universe. And, and then you mentioned about um, closing your eyes. Uh, okay, who cannot close your eyes? Let's see. I don't think I, I don't think I have met anyone who's who could not. Okay, whether they they may have have a problem of sleeping, but they still can close their eyes, even as you said, for three for five minutes and just imagine, right? Okay, right. so that's also one, a beautiful thing, and. Uh, uh, and, and, and you have been mentioning that it, the, the, it's like the sort of wrong thing or the weakness won't be not doing, not trying. Yeah, yeah. I, and then when you said there's no time, yes, we have time, but it's our choice, right? And then intentional. Any activity that is repetitive can be a meditative moment. Just taking a walk can be meditative. I think that the purpose of all of the holistic modalities that we've studied and embraced is that it, it allows us to quiet our body and quiet our mind. And when we do that, then we truly can embrace wellness. Our body, our body only heals when it's at rest. And of course, sleep is the best rest of all. That's my medicine. But a lot of people have difficulty sleeping. But if they can quiet their body and allow their mind to quiet, they can get some of the same benefits of a deep, restful sleep without fretting about, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep enough or I'm going to bed so late and I've got to get up at five to go to this appointment. I think we kind we self-sabotage ourselves a lot and we create our own levels of intense anxiety. And again, the past few months have been months of intense anxiety because we just don't know. Yeah. 
So for you, Janice, when's the best time that you get more clarity in what you want to do how, when you're in the middle of like this anxiety or these old news, conflicting news? So same thing as when you're in the middle of your loved ones and your loved ones, um, it, it just even if you're uh, as a nurse, sometimes you get conflicting. That's for me, I, I, uh, ideas on how do I handle these things now? Do you, do you get that clarity when you're busy or do you get that clarity when you have that moment of quietness? Is it in the morning, is it the evening? I, I just wanna hear your experience. It can be any time, but when I have something that I need to get more information on, I will stop and breathe. I definitely will um, take a deep breath and I will quickly assess what's going on. I'll kind of look at my options and I'll pick the best one. And it, once you practice doing that, and most of these modalities require practice, but then they become second nature. But once you practice that, it's almost like an instantaneous check-in. And you're just taking that deep breath. It's like you're saying, okay, I'm ready now. I need that information, help. And as a second choice, ask for help. Say, what is it I need to know? You'd be surprised, but always ask for the answer to be in a language you understand. Because sometimes we get answers and we don't understand them. Do you ever feel like you, you're stuck in anything? Um, I don't really feel stuck. But when I had Lyme disease a few years ago, and that was frustrating because the medical community did not want to hear that it was possible that my Lyme disease went all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s when I was in college. And I truly believe that it did and it just stayed dormant in my body so that the antibiotics weren't really helpful at all. And I, I, I required alternative treatments like herbal tinctures and energy work and Reiki and you know, changes in, in even more nutrition. And the, I was very fortunate to find a Lyme literate doctor who oversaw my care and my treatment. And if not for him, I would have been batting my head against a wall because a lot of traditional practitioners just are not, um, it's not in their realm of our scope of practice to do what I did. So that was a stuck moment because they thought I was kind of off the wall, suggesting the things that I suggested be done. But it all worked out. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to hear that story because what I'm hearing now is each of us can have that feeling of being stuck but that stuck doesn't have to be permanent right then an opening somewhere can just come out and then that moves us more to you know for a forward movement of a tra or transformative 
situation. Right. And being stuck is different for everyone. You know, some people might be stuck with something that we would say, oh, it's easy. But for them, it isn't. And, and I, again, when we're working with people, you, you have to meet them where they're at. And if they really feel that what they are dealing with is almost insurmountable, you have to help them understand and see that there are things that can help them go beyond it. Thank you, Janice. Uh, the, my, the clients whom I've had, or you know, the families, with their families, it's not that they use the word stuck in taking care of their loved ones, but you can feel that because since they're related, they know that they have that responsibility to continue to take care of it. Rarely does anyone not take care of their elders or someone who needs their help for that uh, particular cognition problem. And what I was gonna say is that even if they feel like that, there is always that moment when they would prefer that they would have a break. But nowadays it's like they can't have a break because no. all the centers where they can go, their loved ones can go to, can, you know, can have their own socialization or just have their own conversation. But now there's none. And that's why having you here and all the, my other guests are important to just give them some hints that they can feel like there is still some break from them and, and, and a resource. So, like, what can we say if, if there's one habit that we can suggest to them, you know, that doesn't take too much time, what would that be? Breathe. Learn to breathe. When we get tense, we actually don't breathe effectively. We're only using the top half of our lungs. We are not using our full capacity. So by simply breathing, it, you can go through a ritual of um, relaxation, full body relaxation. Again, that takes a lot of time because you have to start at your head and feel your forehead relaxing and feel your scalp relaxing as you breathe in and out. But if you just take one part of your body, maybe your back is really tense today. Just imagine that when you breathe in, all these little molecules have wonderful massaging hands in them and they're going right to your back and they're massaging that whole area. Just allow three, four, five breaths to go to that area. But by using your breath, bringing in, letting go, and consistently trying to breathe very deeply. And if you don't know, if you are breathing effectively, lie on the floor and take a, a a five pound bag of flour or sugar or rice and put it right below your belly button 
And when you breathe in a good full breath, that flour, sugar, rice should rise. And if it isn't rising, then you are not breathing effectively. So practice until you can make that object rise. And then you will know what a true effective breath is. But if there's any one thing that helps universally, it's breath. And we all do it and we do it unconsciously. But if we do it consciously, again, a few minutes at a time, it can make all the difference in how we feel during the day, at night, and how we wake up in the morning. That is so true, you know, yes, so true. Because I know that when I get anxious about something, you want to do something in a certain time, or I can't get what I wanted to do, then I'm like, my, sh my breathing is shallow. Yeah. And then I tell myself, breathe. <laughs> yeah. Even my four-year-old grandson, when he gets upset, and, and I look at him and he'll go, I know, breathe. Oh. Oh. Does, he'll say, I, it does make me feel better. It does. Teaching so. a child as early is wonderful. It yeah. is. Yeah. And I always command and respect the you know, family who looks after you know, the, their loved ones because in dementia, as opposed to other illnesses, that's the population where they cannot even speak for themselves. Yes. Uh, once in a while, maybe at the early stage, they could they would know that something is off. But when they're when and that could be both tricky, good and bad. But when um, but but they could not like say, okay, speak for me, help me out, and you know that's why. I like to create this program for, for the, the community. Now, it's very hard and the, there are so many types of cognitive impairment and dementias now that we're really only beginning to scratch the surface of how these things are changing and how they're occurring. So we are learning so much and it's almost as if the more we learn, the more we have to learn because the brain is such a complex organ. And like I said, we are barely beginning to understand how it functions. And the, the different organizations like the Lewy Body Dementia Group has certain resources. And then there, uh, the Stroke Group, then the Cognitive Impairment from Strokes you can go to their website. And you know, it, it involves a lot of work on, on the caregiver's part. And, and if you know exactly what type of impairment, then you are more likely to find better solutions. But there are many, many, many different organizations that um, provide free resources online and we'll be more than happy to answer people's questions and help them seek additional support. And we all need support, absolutely. And we are, we are a community 
and it takes a village to get through all of this and it and it truly does so do not hesitate to ask for help it's important and, and then with all the resources that exist now i'm we're adding this podcast for their resource because you know there is a complimentary book a coaching call for every episode i posted a link there because they might just have one question or two and then you know we i could respond to them or other other than me you know it could be directly to you so and then they could respond and now for the that also leads me to think the one of your expertise and you're the only holistic registered nurse i believe doing it is the clinical thermography and i only know it for my experience that you did with me is for the breast and then for the back you please tell us more about that and also couldn't they use that for the brain no that's the one area of the body that the body's infrared energy is not um able to really come through because the skull is too thick in our you know even our face our neck our torso our legs and arms there it isn't it's a combination of skin and muscle and blood vessels etc and organs the brain is just encased in an amazing um skeletal mass that will not allow and th thermography is based on the physiology and functionality of a body so you you're not talking about the anatomy because that's structural so when you're looking at a person there's anatomy and there's physiology traditional western model focuses on anatomical structural the functional medicine practitioners are now beginning to incorporate more physiology and function functional medicine into their their practices which is good but the body's physiology and function changes years before it becomes structurally evident so when you have something occur it just does not occur overnight it has been growing changing evolving and then it becomes a structural issue so the premise of um thermography actually it was derived from um the korean war when they were using industrial thermography to track troop movements oh that's my dog troop movements at night so i can take you with me i she, i think she probably needs to go out and that's for self care so um they they were tracking the troop i know you poor thing um, she lets me know what her needs are there there saw that they were able to determine where the troop bodies were you know the enemies then they could and so um then the medical application came years later in the 70s um a doctor out of australia was working um as part of his research with the oil companies 
and he came across thermography back in the I don't know, 1700s, where there, it took like a whole day to do a thermogram because there was different plates and different things, but make a long story short, he said, why can't we do this? For an, take an industrial piece of equipment, retrofit it for medical use, and scan the divers as they're coming up to the surface to see their physiology changes. Then we can determine when it's safe to bring them to the surface. And that was the first, quote, medical application. Firemen use thermography to find bodies in a building and people that are still in there. And now thermography is much more acceptable now than it was when I started in 2005, but it has a way to go. But in essence, a thermogram is looking at the body and the body's function at a time when it is starting to change. And any mass that is over 296 cells requires its own blood supply. So thermography is really good about identifying vascular changes. It will look at neurologic changes. It will visualize pain. So if somebody has a sore hip and they've had a hip replacement and all the CAT scan and the x-rays are negative, oftentimes with a thermogram, you will see that there is an underlying bone infection that is very deep and is not discernible by structural testing. So um, thermography for the breast is uh, an adjunctive tool. Nothing is 100%, but this also does not cause any damage to the body. There's no radiation, there's no contact, and therefore it can be used frequently. Whereas you wouldn't recommend somebody having a CAT scan you know, every week. You really wouldn't need a thermogram every week, but you could do it. So thermography is, um, it's a kind of like a hidden little tool and more people are beginning to embrace it. Come, on. Come in. We have coyotes where I live and I don't like to leave my dog out too much. Not trusting the foxes and the coyotes because I live in the woods. Come on, princess. Princess, come on. In that um, thermography for like, the for the breast yes is, is um you think that's more effective or in your experience the have you help more women or men who yes. were able to and detect men. much earlier than just going for mammography yes and again it does no harm so you're not exposing yourself to additional radiation um Nothing, like I said, is perfect, but this does no harm to the body. A lot of my patients will have a thermogram every four years, and they'll, they, I mean, a mammogram every four years, and do a thermogram every year. If they're high risk, a lot of the women will do a thermogram every six months, and we set them up on a monitoring program. And they now have just 
um, put together a program. It's called a woman's study, and it looks at the abdomen, the GYN area, um, again, to see if there's any dysfunction caused. It's not going to, you're not going to see a mass. You're not going to see a lesion. What you're going to see is the dysfunction caused by the growth of that mass. And thermography is an excellent tool that is best looking for changes over time. So if you are consistently screening using thermography, it is a very good way to incorporate this as part of your health and wellness plan. You know, this is a way to uh, nurture your body and your mind. You're not feeling good. You're feeling good about what you're doing for your body. You're not subjecting it to um, additional radiation. And it is a tool that can help give you information that you need to stay well. Do you work with uh, regular physicians? Like, oh, if you a client, a patient comes to you, and would their physicians know, understand the results? Well, a lot of comments I get from physicians are that they can't read the images, but they're not supposed to. They don't read x-rays. They don't read MRIs or PET scans. And the, the uh, process is very simple. Like when you're doing a breast scan, there's seven images. There is a history. Your history goes with it. They interpret it and send back the results in language that and medical professionals can understand. A lot of my patients will say, I don't know what that means. I will explain that to them, whether it's hypothermic or hyperthermic, or whether it's cold, warm, changing, stable. Um, if, the, if a phys practitioner can read English, they can understand it. And the, they original, <laughs> the original reading will come from a team and yeah. right tell us about the team well i'm part of the american college of clinical thermology which is the largest and i believe the oldest governing body for the science of thermology and there are um probably 45 doctors worldwide who are who have a subspecialty in thermology so they, it's like having a gastroenterologist or a dermatology subspecialty. They have a subspecialty in thermology. And the doctor's backgrounds are, are varied. Um, one doctor who reads a lot of my work is an uh, orthopedic oncologist. Another one is uh, a dermatologist. There is um, a doctor who is a forensic pathologist. And so there are many different backgrounds, but they all have this additional subspecialty and they're all part of the American College of Clinical Thermology. And I'm very happy to be part of it for 15 plus years. Excellent. So there's really an, a team that, who knows how to read and to interpret and how to share it. Yeah, because that always makes a dif difference. Uh, so I guess some uh, uh, other doctors will catch up on the other things that they're not familiar with because they get a little scared when they don't know. 
Well, it's outside the medical model. And like everything outside the medical model, it takes a long while to change. And ultimately, I think it will be incorporated and into our health plan. But there's so much money raised for research, um, especially for breast cancer. And if they could combine the knowledge and research that they have, like with ultrasound or heat images, why can't they combine an ultrasound with a thermographic component to deliver um, a piece of equipment that isn't going to harm the body? And if, if I can think about it, then they should be able to create it. So, and there's certainly been millions and millions of dollars and um, donated for research. And I would think that somebody would be running with this, but I haven't heard of any, I've tried to encourage all those doctoral nurses to do studies on it. And they did do a study at Mass General, one of the doctoral nurses using thermography to identify in the um, neonatal intensive care unit, pain in these, these neonates that are severely premature, when they do a, a heel stick with them, they can sense thermographically the change, whether it's painful or not. And they did a paper on it and it thermography proved that depending on the heel stick, yeah, that it was painful. Perhaps Janice, uh, later you could give me uh, some links of some research, uh, studies and I will put it in the description. So for those who would want to research more or read, then they can, you know, one or two links that for them to start. Because as you said, once a person seeks some help and they reach out, all the other information come to them when you ask for help. <laughs> that's, that's the hard part. That's the hard part, asking for help. We all need help at some time. So, And uh, I, I can also hope that we attract those scientists or those who are interested in furthering their skills in research to focus on the things that perhaps uh, we know practically it's being used, but there's just no quote unquote un thousands of research studies there. And then, you know, they can add that, their study can be added to that. Absolutely. There are 800 studies in the Index Medicus on thermography, and there's very little research that's being done in the United States because most of the research is funded by pharmaceutical companies and equipment manufacturers. So they have no interest in researching thermography. Bottom line, they don't want to hear about it. It's, it's always follow the money, follow the control. And again, right. it's keep following the money, following the control. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so is there anything that surprises you still nowadays? Because oh. and I have been around. Yeah, I've been around a long time, Grace. Um, I think I wrote to, to you that it was man's inhumanity to man. I, I can't believe the way that, especially during this 
quarantine time, there've been some wonderful things that people have done and come forward. But on the other hand, there are people that are in such dire straits and it seems like they're, they're not being taken care of. And we really need to be kinder. I, I think that being kind is, is important. And I think there's a lot of unkindness in the present moment. And, you know, politically and, you know, economically, they, the programs have not really fulfilled what they need to. And there are a lot of people that can't feed their families. And in a supposedly, uh, an, not a developing nation, we are supposedly one of the premier nations that we still have people who, who are hungry and homeless. That's what surprises me. I guess sooner or later, these things may change, you know, and Hopefully. that's what we always put that in our visualization, right? That things can change. Oh, yeah. Like, like, um, do you see that nurses are taking care of themselves more? Because, yeah. you know, right now they're really, they're, they're in, they're, the nurses are always in the middle of everything. And right. they can name all the top health professionals but it is the nurse for me who will either make your health or break your health, but mostly make your health. <laughs> One with the face mask that should have been changed two hours ago and the face shield and the, the gown and the gloves. And, and she's the one who is, is going into that room and tending to that patient. And from what I am seeing and hearing, and I believe that a lot of the hospital organizations are providing resources for these frontline workers. Um, I know that in Boston, uh, they are showing their appreciation to their workers partners, which is Mass General, Brigham and Women's, a large group of hospitals, they had suspended all, um, all of the mat matching profit sharing and what um, they announced today is because their profits have not been, have not taken a hit the way they thought, they are reinstituting matching the profit sharing. So I think these different organizations, hospital organizations are trying to support their employees. Some of them have allowed them to do um, altering shifts, you know, from doing all nights to a mix and they put them up in hotels and they are providing different uh, mind body techniques. Some of them are getting Reiki in the hospital and they're really trying to support, you know, being on the front lines, you know, I haven't been there for many years, but I can't, I can't even imagine 
the stress and tension, especially if you are with, have a partner, have children, what that involves going home at the end of the day, trying to take off your clothes in the garage and washing them before you go into your house. Uh, the protocols are, are for a reason, but I believe that nurses um, are being more supported and I think a lot of them are much more aware now of the necessity of self-care because they, survive. they couldn't have survived these four months if they had not been practicing some self-care. Yeah, the self-care for me is really crucial uh, since I hear also, or, con or I hear opinions, perspectives, and I cannot imagine that everyone in the hospital, whether they're all nurses or you know, just have one perspective of the situation. But then they are part of the healthcare system and that's part of their work. So like there are, there's one side that agrees that there's really that, that severity of the situation, like the necessity of a strong, uh, protective ways like masks and gloves and hand. But then there's another group that says it's not that crucial. So the self-care when you find yourself in that kind of environment is so, so important. And the same thing as when I still used to work in the hospital, I find myself asking, I'm in the critical care and I'm I have a holistic practice. How do I fit in or how do I manage to be in the holistic thing? So it's, I, I don't know you and I, I, I don't think I could be happy to, to no. work in this situation. <laughs> I really think it's difficult, but I'm, you can be a holistic nurse and a holistic being wherever you're practicing. But I think that the stress levels associated with, the unknowns of this situation make it worse. And I think it makes it more difficult for you to be the holistic being that you've been trained to be. And um, until we really know how, you know, how asymptomatic people spread it, until we really know the treatment for it, what is the best treatment? I think we're going to have a lot of um, uncertainty and a lot of anxiety around it going forward. But in, again, good hand washing, wearing a mask, and it just because it does, by study, slow down the transmission, nothing is perfect, but by keeping your hygiene to the highest level that you can and being respectful of others and trying to be socially distant, I think we're gonna change how we gather as, as a group, as a community, as a family, and how we go forward. Of being aware of this, I think a lot of people are gonna work from home more than they did. And I think the balance 
has not been found yet. And so I we're working that way. We're working that. <laughs> although we're working they, that balance. Although okay. they said balance really doesn't stay long because that's just how life is. <laughs> it could be just it's it's in balance, it goes out of balance, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So okay. for 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 some for us to really imagine that's gonna be always a balance, we can we might as well forget about it too. That's right. It, that really is. Um, it's a nice goal. <laughs> yeah. It's always yeah. good to have a goal. If, if there is a 20-year-old um, man or a young lady or a young man, what would be your best advice? And um, depending on what the situation is, is this somebody who's sick? Is this somebody who's a caregiver? Is this somebody who's just trying to find his way? And find just trying to find his way and grow up to be a really a good citizen, good son, daughter? Well, again, it's that nurturing your mind, body, and spirit. And um, you have to get adequate rest. Obviously, keep hydrated with good fluid and from primarily water. Eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and be careful where your food is sourced. Buy locally, as organically as possible. It is actually not more expensive because when you're buying processed foods, you're paying for the processing of it. And if you can go to a farmer's market, go to a farmer's market. So again, you're feeding your body in the right way and find joy. Make sure that something warms your heart and really try to keep your mind stimulated, exercise your body, take a class, find a hobby, listen to music. Listening to music, sound healing is very, very powerful, very soothing. And you know all the studies that go behind that with the, the children that listen to crazy rap music that's really loud and discordant, how unsettling that can be. But if they listen to uh, some type of classical symphony in, in the background, that they were much more soothed. So there are many, many things that are available to a 20-year-old. Certainly, um, they are much more computer savvy and internet savvy, and they can just look up, you know, rest, calm, um, visualization, create their own visualization, visualize their life, use their mind constructively, and find joy in love, feed your body, mind, and spirit, and you will find the health and wellness and be aware. Again, you asking for help, but asking for the answers in a language you understand. And I asked that question because at some point they'll, they'll, they will be grown ups with more responsibilities and may end up the same as our caregivers who have dementia loved ones. Yes. And as you were talking about your grandson who's four years old, 
then it's something that if you have learned something early on and you make it a habit, then they said, as you said again, that it becomes like natural. It's just in you already, right? Absolutely. Uh, it becomes second nature to do these things. What's your biggest challenge in your life? Oh, the biggest challenge in my life is my children. <laughs> um, How many you have? I have two. I have two daughters, and we all want the best for our children. And I think what's what most challenging for me is staying out of it, trying to stay out of it. This is not my journey. It's theirs. But being a, a nurse and being a holistic nurse, that's a challenge to stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all can relate to that, all those who have children. <laughs> yes. And I, I have to remind myself, okay, I, my, my, I believe my responsibility was just to give birth to that person. <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, all that time bringing them up, then well situated for a good adult life. So perhaps you can lead us to some meditative thing, maybe five, ten minutes thing that we can, okay? Absolutely. Uh, well, everybody just kind of sit down or recline, find a comfortable position feeling that you're supported from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet and really become aware of how your body feels. What does it feel like in this moment? Is there an area that is calling to you? Now allow your breath a nice, slow, deep breath in. Breathing in the joy that you found in your day. Imagining that every molecule of air entering your body is bringing to every cell of your being just what it needs nurturing it on whatever level is necessary and feel the area that you've identified as most problematic. Feel that area being surrounded with the loving breath, soothing and relaxing and then allow that area to exchange the angst or the emotion or the feeling, the pain. Release that with your exhaled breath and feel the difference in this area. And allow your breath to continue to bring you to a place of peace, imagining that with every breath you take and every sound you hear, 
that you are, be you are able to become more peaceful, more whole, more open to accept what it is you need to accept. Every breath serves to relax the muscles and ligaments of your forehead, the back of your head, your neck, the muscles that extend from the back of your neck out to your shoulders. This area tends to hold all of your disappointments and all of your unmet expectations, allowing your breath to encircle these emotions and carry them away. Feeling a release in that area, a total release, muscles softening, wonderful. Now continuing with your breath, breathing into your arms, down your arms, feeling them relaxed and heavy, knowing that you could pick them up and move them if you had to, but there's no reason to. So allow them to soften and relax. Relax, and then bringing this sensation back into your torso, encircling your torso, your respiratory system, your cardiac system, surrounding your heart with loving, healing light in whatever color brings you joy perhaps a beautiful daffodil yellow or a sky blue or a sage green or maybe even pearly white. Imagine that your heart that can get heavy from all the responsibilities that we bear each and every day. Feel the love surrounding your heart and embrace that feeling yourself grateful and accepting, accepting of this. And another slow deep breath in, letting this really settle in. And then feeling this sense of peace descending down into your abdomen, your gut, your pelvis, your hips. Imagining yourself being able to stand strong and tall, feeling the love and support of the universe on those days when you feel beaten down by what you've encountered. Feel the strength within your being, allowing your body to stand tall and strong 
and upright. Another breath, allowing that feeling to really settle in. And now using your breath to allow that feeling of peace and relaxation to descend down your legs, the legs that carry you wearily through a day, or maybe they put bounce in your step, but imagining that there is a renewed energy when you put your feet to the floor, that every footfall can bring you joy, and that the energy within your body can become more balanced, more whole. So feeling that energy circulating from the toes of your feet, back up your legs, into your torso and trunk, circulating, surrounding you, healing beautiful light, your arms, your neck, your head, feeling this energy as if it's a piece of soft silk enveloping you, protecting you, and allowing you to rejoice in a moment of self-care. And so you shall. Breathing in and exhaling away anything that isn't serving your purpose at this moment. Feeling your feet, your body, your head supported. And when you are ready, allow yourself to come back slowly into the present moment. Better for it, and so you are. Thank you. Very beautiful. Nice, nice. Thank you. It's been so wonderful to, to see you, <laughs> Zoom with you, and be able to, to share this with you whenever else I can help. Thank you, know. you Janice. And I, I uh, thank you, our dear listeners and viewers. Uh, we hope we made your day into something more beautiful or just have a little break from your usual stress. And I'd like to share the quantum card affirmation that I've chosen for today. And I shuffle my card and cards every morning. And with intention, I said, what, which of this can I pull and share with Janice and the audience? And these quantum cards, you say this three times a day, three times each time. So if we're the noon, uh, you can do it two times, but best two to three times. And this is what I got for today. Daily transformation. I choose to learn from every new experience. I turn negative experiences into positive ones. New experiences can give me understanding, growth, and new perspectives. 
I welcome new experiences into my life. I choose to learn from every new experience. I turn negative experiences into positive ones. New experiences can give me understanding, growth, and new perspectives. I welcome new experiences into my life. I choose to learn from every new experience. I turn negative ones into positive. New experiences can give me understanding, growth, and new perspective. I welcome new experiences into my life. Beautiful. Perfect from everything that you shared. So that's how the universe connects all the messages and what we need for this moment. I thank you again. So this is Grace Asagra. This is Quantum Nurse. I thank everyone. And in I'm going to put all the information for Janice and a brief description of this. And so feel free to book a coaching call. And if there's a question for Janice, could be, I could lead it to her and question for me or just anything. Because sometimes that's, that's already happening to me on the phone anyway. So might as well put it there. <laughs> okay. And in my language, I say... Mabalos. Oh, but before that, Janice, tell them again, where can they find you? Well, I'm physically located north of Boston um, on the internet. It's www.insideoutthermography.com, all one word. And you can look up Janice Anderson and I will pop right up. So... And I will make sure that Grace gets some of that research information yes, to put. Yes, please. Okay, yeah. definitely will do. We'll do it again one time, some other time. Yeah. Uh, my imagination, if I could, we could all have a live stream. I want to put like four, six to six, you know, holistic nurses in a live stream, and we'll do a live stream for her, whatever, whoever. Okay, that's yeah. my dream. So, Thank you and Mabalos. That's Mabalos. Mabalos. Bye now.